Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here, back with Tom and Ed. We made it to another week, guys. Oh, we made it through another week, and what a week it was. I'm going to be doing a lot of fussing this week, so just get prepared. We just barely made it based on what I heard from R&B this week. A couple artists threatened to, to burn the whole genre down, but that's a story I'm sure we'll cover later in this podcast. Oh, you know it's coming. <laughs> yep. But I want to start off with this, guys. Uh, well, first off, shout outs to our boy Todd Davis. He wanted a shout out on uh, the podcast, so here's your shout out. Uh, but I want to touch on this because I think this actually may end up on our play of please, but we want to bring it up now because we're always in the discussion of chicken. Do you guys remember the legendary <laughs> rap group Bone Thugs and Harmony? Of course. Yes. One of the most influential groups of all times. Well, They've partnered up with Buffalo Wings, Buffalo Wild Wings, that is, and they've uh, changed their names, Boneless Thugs and Harmony. What do you guys think? Is this for real? Yeah. You got to get that bag somehow. Oh, my God. The chicken bag? Are we really changing our name for chicken during Black History Month? Is that what we're doing? Listen, if someone sent us a bag full of money, I'd change this podcast name to Soul Boneless Podcast. Soul Boneless Podcast. <laughs> that will be my last time appearing on the Soul Boneless Podcast. <laughs> so, I thought that was pretty interesting. But what's also I interesting think it's is sad. that... Mal- Listen, you got to get that bag. Listen, Keith taught us you got to get that bag, so... That's what these bone thugs or these boneless thugs are doing. I was going to say, Keith has sung for chicken nuggets and Mary J. Blige sung for chicken sandwiches too. So, unfortunately, the precedent has been set by our veterans. And there you have it. But, like I said, what's also interesting is that the Millennium Tour 2020 is set to take place uh, later this month. And I've got some news for you. Um... And more of this will be published on our website. But I had a chance to speak with B. Cox yesterday about a lot of different topics because he's had his, he has his hands in a lot. But with this Millennium Tour, first and foremost, he mentioned that Ed, and you'll be excited for this, Bow Wow and Omarion is, are set to do Face Off 2, the album. Are you ready? I am absolutely not ready for that. <clears throat> now, now listen, no beef to Omarion, but Shad needs to sit down. I am sick of your boy. It is not Ouch. 2003. We don't have 106 in Park anymore. Your usefulness has long been done. Why are we still trying to make <laughs> Bow Wow a thing? Tom, let me ask you this. The Millennium Tour did really well last time around, and I think it'll do the same this time. Wouldn't it be a good time for people like Omarion and Bow Wow to create something new to cater to their fans? I mean, to me, the simplest marketing plan you can have is before you do a show or, I'm sorry, like a tour, why not have something out so you can tell people in the audience, hey, such and such is out right now. Isn't that the easiest way to get the word out in front of 20,000 people? Just give them a heads up. I got a new project out. I mean, it would make sense to me. That's how they used to do it. You can even have copies of the of the physical joints or like downloadable things in the in the um where you come in at something. It's weird. Why are we doing things backwards these days? 
Well, I think they probably like figured out that they should make an album like midway through rehearsal, and they're like, "Wait, we should do it now." But you know, tour's about to start. But Omarion actually is is uh, following your plan, guys. He dropped a new single with Ed's boy T Pain. Can you hear me? You guys both had a chance to listen to it. I had a chance to listen to it too. I have lots of thoughts on it. But what are your thoughts on the song? Well, I wish I was called Can You Hear Me? I wish I did not have to hear this. (laughs) I am not a fan of this one at all. I mean, honestly, it sounds like every other R&B trap record ever recorded. There's absolutely nothing different to it. T-Pain doing his same old 2009 robo stick on the end. I guess there's nothing here that differentiates it between anything else. The problem with Omarion, Kyle, and let me know if you agree, is that artists like him and artists from that generation, I mean, I don't know if you guys realize he's 35 now, but he's still from that generation that does not have a radio format where he can just make the music he was making and it'll play his music, unfortunately. He's not going to make adult R&B because he's just not old enough for that yet. And now he's got his only other choice is to make trappy R&B like the kids are making. So remember on his album, we loved a couple of the songs on there, including the song, I think it was called Deeper, right? And it was in our countdown. And I guarantee you most people didn't even care about that song or didn't even recognize the quality of it because it wasn't catchy or trendy. So what is Amarion supposed to do, Kyle? You know, I'm thinking about that, too, because, I mean, first and foremost, I think I went on record to say that this is probably the worst Omarion song I've ever heard. I might have to retract that a little bit, because I remember uh, some of the songs off that Illusion album, his third album. But, Tom, I think you do make a good point. As I think back to the Omarion discography, and I know it well, I even think about songs like, oh, like, would that even be on the charts today? A song like that? No. I don't even know. So, well, of course I mean, not. But that again, was a great record. No. You got to be careful with that because, of course, you know, songs reflect the times. And there's no way a song like that would reflect the times. Some of Mariah's biggest hits would be thrown in the trash today just because it doesn't reflect the times. But Tom makes a good point that we've made before about the Trey songs of the of the world who have had. They're still relatively young by world standards. But as far as artists, when you hit those mid-30s, you're in this weird spot where you're not quite old enough for contemporary, but you're way too old for, you know, the 20-somethings because they seem we age our artists out, unfortunately, but that's another argument. So they're stuck in this weird limbo, so they're like, okay, I got to do the trendy stuff, and it doesn't work because it's not reflective of their generation, and the current generation ain't trying to hear it because they see them as old heads. It's very weird, but that's where we are. It's... Think back to Usher's Here I Stand. It's the same thing, except in a different era, where an artist is trying to struggle to reinvent, but they're kind of stuck in this middle ground where it's not really accepted. If Usher dropped Here I Stand today, people would go crazy. But it was just not the right time. Wrong place, wrong time. Poor Omarion is feeling it. But Kyle, can I just share something interesting with you? Yeah, People are showing up to this tour, the Millennium Tour, and... The newer, the new one, to hear the nostalgic hits. I don't even think any of these people care about the new music he's making. So, guys, well, let me ask you this: Why not just take this time when you reach your mid thirties? You know, Bobby V's another one. He's about to turn forty, actually. Age gracefully. You know, start making that path. So, urban AC radio is a mess right now. 
Start charting songs on there. You could have number one hits on that on that format. I mean, why not? I don't see any problem. It gets your name out there. You could claim having a number one hit. Your fans don't seem to care about hearing those songs anyway, so why not, guys? I think it comes down to ego. I remember an interview with my man Keith a few years ago where he was like, I can't remember what song it was. Maybe it was Boomerang. It was one of those songs they hit um, Urban AC. He was like, I don't care. A number one's a number one. And I'm not ashamed of that. And he alluded that some mm. artists do feel a type of way that they're not charting on the quote-unquote bigger charts. So yep. I think that's what it is. They're like, I don't want to do that one. I want to do this chart. But in order to do it, they have to conform and try to attack their ears to an audience that most likely is not going to be able to be receptive to it. It worked one time for Tank, but that's it. <laughs> well, you guys make a good point because I remember I interviewed Mario. This was back in 2013 or 14. And um, previously his label RCA was pushing his singles to Urban AC and he was really fighting that led to him leaving the label. And I think it was the same case with some of the other acts from that generation. Like Bobby B, they didn't want to just be on Urban AC. So now I, I think they're really against anything to do with Urban AC, which is why you don't see them being pushed to that or them choosing to go that lane. I'm wondering if that's the case. I bet it's the case. It has a stigma attached to it. It's unfair. At the end of the day, I don't care. I want good music. I don't care what chart it lands on. But if you are living die by the charts and notoriety, and especially these artists who have had these dominant runs back in the day and think they can step in and regain that spot because they think they still got it, it's going to be quite humbling to know that you got to go to the other charts. And that's where a lot of that ego comes to play. But actually, Ed's right. It is ego because, and unfortunately, it's part of the culture we're dealing with too because if you make a move to Urban AC, then people are going to say, oh, he's washed up now or he's mm -hmm. has been, you know, and that's part of it too of why artists don't want to be categorized like that. So it's not only their fault. There's a lot of negative factors at play, unfortunately. It's just a no-win situation, in my opinion. I hate it. I hate that in hip-hop and R&B, it's like the two genres that just does not respect aging of artists like it's okay we yep. get older it's okay for your music to and we should celebrate that especially if you still got the pipes and the creativity but it's like oh you're an old head you're a has-been you fell off you're washed it's whack yep right let me ask you guys this um from what i've seen in the media now there's a lot of jedi mind trick going on and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that omarion is starting to embrace you know, his B2K roots and, you know, being part of the group, as you saw on the Millennium Tour, performing with the guys. I think there's sort of a discussion now whether people are looking at Omarion as a legend or not, just based on the impact of B2K. And I don't know if I would go there because obviously I followed Omarion his whole career. I love his solo stuff. But to me, his career never elevated to what I think it could have been. B2K was such a huge platform his first two albums did go number one, but it just never felt like he got to where he needed to go. Do you guys agree with that? Oh, I agree. And I think a lot of that stuff is framed by nostalgia, too. Like there is a and we've talked about this here before, where if you were coming up, if you were a young person in 2002, 2003, watching 106 in part, you would have thought that B2K was bigger than the freaking Beatles because they were that <laughs> celebrated. And you go look at the charts, you see that they were successful, 
but that short that rain on the top was short like leprechauns and they really didn't move as much as you thought successful no question but they were not this long-term success omarion's solo career started out extremely promising then it was just all right he had a i think he has a very good respectable career but nostalgia paints him as this mega legend and that ain't the case take it from a brother who saw it from the beginning to end agreed yeah, and then I think I saw some comments where people said that Chris Brown sto- sort of stole his thunder when he debuted because Omarion was the original young man dancing of that generation, and then Chris Brown came in. I'd say that's, uh, I don't know. You can have uh, more than one dancing one man. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> there's lanes that exist, and there's voids, and people fill them, and if they don't come quick enough or be successful enough, you can get your lane stolen. I think it's a thing that happens. Oh yeah, it definitely oh. happens. Ed, you got to give some credit to your cousin, please. For what? For being the legend. For hanging that he around is, long. <laughs> for hanging around longer than I expected. Okay. Oh, and when you down. talk to him, can you ask him why he's uh, painting his hair to look like a pack of Skittles? I don't get it. <laughs> Someone on the Solar Stereo Cipher, I can't remember who, I wish I could, said he looked like a snow cone. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Alright, so stay tuned for the Millennium Tour. I'm sure we'll have a lot of surprises, special guests, just like the last one. But um, I want to talk about another artist here from that same generation. Uh, he has a new record I, out can, with OT Can I introduce Genesis. this topic? Uh, yes, you can. Can I introduce Tom. this one? So speaking of aging gracefully, artists who age gracefully, oh, <laughs> Neo has a new single out. <laughs> uh, see, Neo for us is like tough love, man. We love Neo, but like he just has let us down so much in the past decade, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, he's had some records. Libra Scale was good. Right. Nonfiction was good. Red, I know Ed sort of liked that one. I didn't really like that one. And his last <laughs> one, Good Man... I can't think of anyone that still listens to that album. Not that it was a bad album, but there's just nothing memorable about that project. But this new yeah, song, Tom? It was what it was. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, Kyle. I don't, even, I don't even listen to it at all. Red, I didn't like it all. Good Man, I didn't like it all. Nonfiction, I actually did like. And Libra Scale, I did like. So Now, the new single, I did not like. This is not <laughs> even singing, guys. This is rapping legitimately rapping that's what it is and i mean he came out and told us that this new project would be trap inspired so there you go i will say this about this song i have been very critical of trap songs in the past few years because everything just sounds so repetitive and a lot of r&b fans shout out to my boy um dj soul child they got annoyed when i compared it to new jack swing but it's the same thing Everybody has found the pattern, and every beat sounds exactly the same. But I will say that this beat, I actually like the beat. It sounds a little bit different. It's a little bit more layered. It sounds like something could have been done here. But it was another by-the-numbers approach. OT Genesis needs to go somewhere. I don't know why he's still around. I'm in love with the Coco is old. Go away. And Neo's just rapping. It's, it's a thing. It's a song that I will skip when the album comes. But Kyle, let me get your opinion. But I will say, Kyle, to me, this is not 
copying trends like when he did Money Can't Buy and She Knows, which were very trendy at the time and had mixed results. But, Kyle, he's rapping. I mean, this isn't just trap R&B. This is rapping. I mean, it's trendy in the sense that everything on Urban is like that. But here's my thing, Tom. Neil recently got divorced. This is a public uh, knowledge thing, so I'm not making up anything here. And in most cases, traditionally, when an artist goes through hard times, which are we, is divorce hard times or is that good times? Where are we at with that? I guess it depends (laughs) on what side you're on. I'm going to say hard times because some people are, yes, they're happy, but at the end of the day, it didn't work out. You can't be happy that you decided to get married and it didn't work out. Well, Neil sounds pretty happy on this song, but uh, nevertheless, I'm going to assume that most people look at divorce as bad times or hard times, which means traditionally in R&B, when you go through hard times, that's when the best music comes out, right? When we look at Mary J. Blige, we love it when she's sad. When we look at Keisha Cole, we love it when she's sad. K. Michelle, love it when she's sad. Tank, love it when he's sad. I thought we were going to get that from Neil, because... The thing about this song versus some of his previous work when they were sad songs like So Sick or Go On Girl, I felt something with those songs. I feel nothing with this. I'm just bopping my head to the beat because the beat's fire. It's fire to the (laughs) point where my girlfriend put the song on her Spotify. She listened to it about four times. I told her to give me three lines from the song. She couldn't do it. So that's when you know the song is not great, but the beat is fire. That's what I'm saying. The beat is incredible. And to your point... And and I hate, I I understand what people say, and I've said this before in reviews, and but I kind of hate it as a married person because when you you don't want to wish negativity on someone, but the best music comes from those dark places, and as you some of those artists you mentioned is giving us great music, and again this is one single, we don't know what the project sounds like. It could be a whole album of I'm going down. We don't know, but the point is this record. I love the beat. I almost wish like it was given to a rapper rapper, not a trap rapper, but a rapper rapper to do his thing over it. Because the beat's hot, but everything else, sleepy time. Well, I, I went on record saying I hope this is just him getting something off his chest and it's not going to be an actual single, maybe not even make the album. You know, just want to get it out there because he's not feeling good about things. But to me... As a Neo fan, and shout out to our boy Daniel Vuong, if you're listening, chime in somewhere, but he's a big Neo fan as well. He's been at his best when he's made those sad songs, and, and this is nowhere near the quality of those type of songs. So, man, Neo, please don't make the album sound like this on every song. Just give us what we want to hear, please. But I will add, you know, I love to bring up artists' age just to show you where they're at in their career. Neo's 40 now. I don't know if you guys realize that. So I think he should have looked at his previous albums, looked at the results of those albums. They didn't really do well commercially, right, Kyle? And Yeah, no. And and thought like and realized where he's at in his career and maybe just started trying to please his core fan base. I mean, I don't think he should still be trying to reach for the celebrity heights. I don't know if you guys agree or not, but that's my take. No, I see what yeah. you're saying, but again, we're going back to what we talked about earlier and artists who had these big runs that are trying to stay in the know and getting to know during the EDM era, Neo quickly jumped in that pool and 
for better or worse, it, I don't feel like it extended his career with his day one fans, but he certainly made some bread off of those annoying EDM songs. I don't see yeah. it being any different here. He's doing the same deal. Well, I'm not sure if you guys agree with me on this sentiment. When I saw that Neil tweeted this song out, Pinky Ring featuring OT Genesis, my initial reaction was, well, at least it's not Pitbull. Uh, uh. Oh, oh gosh. We have traded OT Genesis in for Pitbull's spot. I think I'd rather I kind of wish it. Yeah, at least Pitbull and I'll never made say fun that music. sentence ever again. <laughs> Pitbull at least made fun music. OT Genesis, I don't know what's going on. Ugh. I don't know what's going on with Pitbull, to be honest. I swear Pitbull <laughs> has been making the same song for 15 years. Can someone name three Pitbull songs that sound different? <laughs> it's a formula that seems to be working. You can't knock the man. Yeah. Oh, I knock yeah. everybody. That's just, you know how it goes. I mean, it's disposable garbage music, but hey, it's working. Yeah. Listen, have it. listen Ed. Tom's top three favorite artists are Black Eyed Peas, Jason Derulo, and Pipple. But we don't want to get into that discussion right now. <laughs> don't forget Flowrider coming in number four, if we're going to complete this list. But hey, we're oh, not, yes. that's another whole podcast discussion. <laughs> yes, it Let's is. make um, sure I'm not on that podcast discussion. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of Millennium Artists, I've got one more for you guys here. Pretty Ricky, they dropped their new single, Body. I think it's produced by Rika Love. Um, Ed, it samples Keith Sweat. Oh my God! So let me let me lay the backstory for our listeners on this one. So your boy Kyle hits me up. It's like, oh, you got to hear this song. It samples your boy Keith. I turn on the song, and I hear the legendary SG uh, LSG's "My Body" come on, and then it gets chopped to pieces. And guess who I hear? The weirdos from Pretty Ricky. Doing their struggle bars all over. Okay. Now I will, I will say, whoever produced it, Rico Love or whoever, the beat is nice. Whoever chopped up this sample did a great job. But Pretty Ricky for the past twenty years has wasted more hot beats than any other group I can think of. Shout out to my man Alex Goodwin because he mentioned maybe a week or so ago he was talking about Pretty Ricky and talked about how weird of a group they are. He's like they're an R and B group. They're classified as an R and B group. But it's like one singer and a bunch of weirdo rappers. And he's right. He's right. Mm. Tom, isn't that unique, though, that they had three rappers and one singer? I wish people would do more stuff like that. Just be more creative <laughs> than the typical four-man, five-man group. Come on. Oh, my Listen, God. All I got to say, I haven't heard the song yet, but it's always uh, commendable when younger artists pay homage to the greats. This Younger true, artists. Ed. Spectacular is <laughs> probably about 37 now. Calm down. <laughs> and making lots of money wearing glasses here. Let's give them some props, yep. please. <laughs> making I'm money gonna... wearing glasses? Don't make me start on that topic again. <laughs> All right. And shout out to Pleasure B. He sounds great on the song. They're going to be on tour soon, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, let's get into some more news here. Music Soulchild, Tom, dropped a mixtape. Oh, man, Ed. Music Soulchild continues to set the bar of creativity. I didn't even see this coming. He had uh, teased this project. He actually talked about it on our podcast when we had him as a guest last year. And um, it's a Jay Dilla tribute 
he was highly inspired by Jay Dilla. The production is was made by a producer named BDB. I wasn't familiar with him, but he made all Jay Dilla inspired productions. And it's five cover songs from artists like Stevie Wonder, Prince, Marvin Gaye, Donny Hathaway, and one more I'm forgetting. But I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, this is the type of stuff we'd like to hear from our favorite artists. And he came through. I don't know if you guys have a chance to check it out yet, but very unique. And I would I love hearing stuff like this. Now, I have not. And honestly, I heard nothing about it until I think I saw one of you guys tweet about it. And that was like the first I had ever heard about this. And I was like, is this for real? And I went to check it out. And I haven't had the chance to listen to it yet. I was busy doing some reviews this weekend. But I love the concept behind this. And to Tom's point, and to my point earlier, I feel like we have to be better about celebrating our artists and not waiting until they die and giving them Grammys to their kids because they're gone now. And now that we're on the hype train when they're gone. But celebrating these legends who have paved the way and just giving back a little bit. This is, I mean, five tracks, no skin off of music, Steve. This is a way he can celebrate an artist that has meant a lot to both him, R&B, and hip-hop. Shake the whole sound for a good part of a decade. I love the concept behind this. Can't wait to check it out. You know, it's interesting because I, I talked to Kyle about this. Artists don't do cover songs very much anymore, and I think the reason is because of money. They don't want to give up any money to, you know, and, and the publishing or whatever is involved when, with a cover song. Because if you remember in the 90s, artists used to do a cover song and release it as a single. I mean, you remember Donnell Jones on his first album. Um, who was the group that did Ribbon in the Sky? I can't remember the name, but, no, like, there was times. Was, intro. Um, intro. 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 So, I mean, th- this stuff used to happen. Now artists won't do it anymore. So music, it's like he just put all that aside and just did this as a as a tribute, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I missed. And a, a lot of times you can go back. I mean, we were talking about Genuine's album last week, and he had the the Prince um, cover on it. Mm-hmm. That that was a time where it seemed like every album had at least one cover, maybe to their favorite artist, or maybe it was a gospel song they grew up on. And we're missing that. I don't know if artists today, to your point, don't want to come off the bread. I don't know if they feel like they can't physically do it justice. I don't know if artists today just aren't schooled on anything beyond the now. They might not know these songs exist. But I certainly miss it. Because these are the songs that keep the genre alive. A lot of these covers might be the first time you hear this song. I'm sure someone hearing Ribbon in the Sky from Intro in the 90s, that might have been the first time they heard it, and then they went back and checked out Stevie. Or when Jodeci did lately, they went back and checked out the original. So that's the way you keep the genre alive. Mm, guys, I think you guys are being a little old-headed here, because... Oh, God. Hey, it, what is this about to go? This generation <laughs> is all about creativity and doing it their own way. Covering an old song is not cool to them. They want to be able to flip it and oh, turn it my. into something else. What about Tory Lane's last album? Oh what about it? I oh. like to flip that in the trash. That's what the young people want, guys. They want remixes. They want new versions of songs. They don't want just covers of old yeah. vintage songs. Come on. You know why, Kyle? Because the because the younger artists came and named three Aretha Franklin songs. That's why. Exactly. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, Shout out to LMA. We love you. 
Um, <laughs> now we got now Bilal came back with a new song God. here, and Bilal to me has always been someone who's rather interesting. I can't say that I love every Bilal song, but you know he's going to come with something eclectic and fresh. Ed, what's going on in this song? Yeah, I'm as many people know. Like I have had a quite a love hate relationship with Bilal when he first came out I did not get the hype at all but over time I have gone to appreciate his work and this new song I'm blanking on the name is it from a soundtrack or a movie something like that it's from um, a, a movie he's it? actually starring in yeah oh interesting but yeah I thought this I thought it was pretty solid it's the thing about Bilal that puts him over the top for me and while I'm not that big of a fan vocally he conveys emotion he's perfect at storytelling through his his lyrics and his vocals and that's something i've always appreciated with him and that really drives this song here so artistically i think it's a pretty solid song so we'll be on the lookout for a new Bilal project hopefully sooner than later uh but i've got a couple of hard-hitting questions for you guys right now oh boy i love these uh, first and foremost, Drew Hill's unsung episode, I guess, set to air by the time this podcast publishes. Tom, didn't Drew Hill recently do an interview? And I, I, I couldn't wait to tell you about this. So I read this oh interview boy. that Drew Hill did to promote the unsung. I'm not going to name the outlet or the writer. But Ed, this writer was, she came across like she had not heard of anything from Drew Hill since 2001 and just knew Cisco and didn't know they had any other albums or new members. They didn't even, she asked during the interview, so you have new members in the group now? And didn't even know who Playa was. I mean, don't people even do research anymore when they do an interview? See, now my head is about to explode like that gift, that gross gift where the dude's head blows up. That, the kind of, look, can a brother take a few <laughs> seconds to talk about music journalism? I need, if you're a music, if you're a quote-unquote, if you're a music journalist that I see out here, everybody love throwing a tag out. If you're a blogger, if you're just some random who tweet, if you're some weirdo with a blue check that's never gone to journalism school, I don't care, but I need you to do one thing before you interview these artists, because you are interviewing them two seconds before. I see you tweeting about a week before about how you're going to be talking to this big-name artist, blah, blah, blah. Because you love the stunt, but you don't like time doing your research. All you got to do is go to this thing called Wikipedia. You can look <laughs> at the little top section, and it says present members and past members. Yep. See who these people are. Read the little first two paragraphs. Look at the little discography. See what albums came out. And not going on your memory and think the last album had In My Bed on it. And then have a little bit of mental, throw it in your mental Rolodex, get your questions ready beforehand. So when you interview these artists, you don't look like a dummy and prove that you are not worthy of carrying a conversation because you haven't done none of your research. How are y'all these music journalists that keep coming in my feed because you got a bunch of followers and a bunch of people that follow you and you don't do any research? It drives me crazy. I'm about to fight. I'm going to punch my microphone, Tom. I'm heated. How wait, are these people getting wait, all these chances? Wait, Tom, hold on. Before you guys continue, we can't just use Wikipedia, guys. I'm on the 112 page right now, and they don't have the names of the two backup dancers. Oh! 
So listen, no, no, listen. What? What is it? They these media outlets hire freelance writers. It's a very sloppy job. All they care about is is the headline. The headline had nothing to do with, with the group. It just said like Cisco didn't like singing in my bed or something, you know. And then it was an, it was actually an interview up with Drew Hill. I had no idea from the headline. So to me, it's like some cheap freelance writer they hired, and that's what we get in this day and age. Unfortunately, they're not passionate music fans. So that's where we're at. And unfortunately, a lot of times these freelancers don't have, you know, any type of journalistic experience. It's just somebody who's hot on social media. So if you have a bunch of followers, you can get drafted into, I don't know, Essence or Vibe or whatever, because they said you got a bunch of followers and you tweet out any old BS, a lot of people are going to click and follow it. So you don't even have to be skilled. All you got to have is a bunch of followers and be able to string two sentences together. And make funny tweets. If you can do that, we'll hire you. And it's sad, Kyle is right, that I had to be like, go to Wikipedia, because that is so inaccurate. But that's the least you can do before you go yeah. interview somebody. A little bit of research, y'all. You're killing me here. <laughs> Let me ask you guys Kyle, this. can I ask? All right, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. No, I was, I was going to switch gears. What do you have, Tom? I was going to ask you a hard-hitting question, Kyle. Can you name every member... Every group member that has been a part of Drew Hill and the years they were part of the group. Oh, well, I'm on their Wikipedia. I'm on their Wikipedia oh. page right now, so that's not fair. Because <laughs> I had another question. <laughs> uh, that's fine. No, let Tom, me try to I mean, do it. I'm gonna try to do it. All right, Ed, you can get you can okay. give Scola a shout out. I know you love well, Scola. At least, at least instead of the years, just give the albums. Like who was a part of each album and who is the current member? Okay. All right, we got Cisco, we got Woody, we got Jazz, we got Nokio. The core four, first two albums. Mm-hmm. Then we got my man, uh, what's the name? Scola. <laughs> that was third album. Yeah. And who then left? we got um, my man who went to do the gospel joint. Um, Woody. <laughs> He bounced. Your man. <laughs> so Woody bounce. He's from VA too. Did Kyle come in? No. That's a Baltimore brother. Although it's close, oh. we'll claim you. Anyway, <laughs> then, then Tao. He when did he? When was he? Uh, I think that was independent. Was he thing. before the fourth album? No, he yep. was on the fourth album. I remember, he was on the fourth album. Yeah. See, that lets me know no one listened to that fourth album. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was fourth album era. Then we got back to the. All right. Now the fourth album. Then we're done with albums. Then every, my man Jazz stripped out. He stripped out. So we're down to the three. Well, the two: Cisco, Nokio. And we got my man from Player, Black and Smoky. Man, it starts getting go. fuzzy after that. Well, and that's it. It's crazy. Did anyone realize that Scola was in the group for seven years, and Teo was in the group for eleven years? Like that, it kind of was fuzzy for me that they were even around that long. Nope. It, it was just nope. because they weren't, you know, the, they were touring and doing their thing. So I would yeah. see, like, I remember Scola's like solo joint. 
But they just were so low profile then that it was kind of tough. Yep. Hold on, Come you guys in. completely missed and one member from all of this. Who was that? Oh. Kevin Peck. <laughs> Long-time manager, <sighs> Kevin Peck. Player. Was that, was that on that podcast? He was. <laughs> oh, man. That was that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how can we forget? Not only did all right. he listen in to the whole podcast, but he decided to chime in right in the middle and give his two cents. And the we manager. forgot he was still on the... <laughs> Yeah, we forgot he was on the line. He just hype popped in. I was like, who is this ghost? <laughs> Shout oh, outs man. to Kevin. Uh, can I ask you guys a question about Drew Hill here? This is another hypothetical. We like to play hypothetical here. Okay. What if? What if Woody never leaves the group? Cisco doesn't end up doing the solo album, which is a fire album, by the way. Great album, but what if... Drew Hill continues the momentum from the second album onto the third one. Woody doesn't leave. There's no Scola. Cisco's debut never happens. How big is Drew Hill if that timeline plays out? Uh, well, see, to me, you would have thought Cisco's momentum would have carried over into the third one. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ed. But the third one I didn't think was a huge success. Like the singles were I, sh- I Should Be and I Love You, but mm-hmm. I didn't think that one was a, was a big hit. And I felt like Cisco enhanced his celebrity going solo, and that, I thought that would have carried over to the group. It just didn't seem to. I don't know if you, if you guys noticed that. No, I noticed it, and I agree. I do think that the one thing with that third album is that Cisco, it depends on the, I think more importantly, it's not even like who was in the group, but it was like when the group came, when that album came out. If that album came out in 2001 instead of the Cisco solo joint, it would have done way more. But the problem mm. is Cisco going solo, he was like, he went, he rolled so high and then fell so hard so fast that I feel like that that may have negatively, just slightly, kind of hurt Drew Hill overall as a group because it was just kind of like, eh, they're going to try it again. It was kind of this leftover type feeling. I think that hurt. Even though I don't hate that album. I know it gets a bad rap. I think it's all right. I think Cisco's kind of rise and fall so quickly may have kind of tainted that one a little bit. If that was no Cisco solo rise and fall and that came out a little earlier, it might be better received. That's just speculation, though. Yeah, Kyle. And can I yep, wrap up this ahead. topic with a with one more hard hitting question for you? Yeah. If this unsung episode, um, unbeknownst to all the members, they invite every original member back that has been a part of the group, and they all just end up entering a room at the same time, and it turns into Royal Rumble, who's going to win that match? I'm going with. You know what? I'm going with Tail. He seems like he works out. No, I see clips. That's a good pick. I see clips of him in the gym. Right there. <laughs> That's a sleeper pick. I was initially gonna go hey. with Jazz, but I'm not yeah. sure how long he no. can last in that fight. So I'm going. No, oh no. my, oh my god, <laughs> no comment there. See, I was gonna go oh Nokio. He seemed like he would be sneaky. Like he would have some some like hidden game plan or some brass nooks in his draws or something. You guys had some great choices. 
But my pick, I'm going with out of nowhere, off the top rope, the manager, Kevin Peck. No one saw him coming, but he jumps into the ring and just knocks everyone out. With a steel chair. Yes, the lights will go out and the lights will come back on and he's standing in the middle with a chair and just like knocks everybody out. Yep, that's you. I don't know. Cisco might like unleash the dragon on everyone like Luke Kang. Oh, like Luke Kang. No, I need, I love it. I need Cisco to keep that dragon in away so I don't need to see it. It's a family program. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Uh, here's another hard-hitting question for you guys here. Um, Usher can't go a podcast without talking about Usher. I just spoke to B. Cox, like I mentioned no, earlier. And uh, Usher is kind of hesitant on the Confessions 2 album title. Uh, B. Cox at this point doesn't even know if it's called Confessions 2 because Usher's unsure. Does the album need to be called Confessions 2? Absolutely not. I have been very much against calling it Confessions 2. And I've been very much against sequel albums in general because, as I've said a million times in my reviews, it just sets unrealistic expectations. If he calls this album, I don't know, the Usher Raymond Project or whatever, no one's going to link it to Confessions. But if you automatically say this is Confessions the sequel, that's a bar you're not going to clear. So it's automatically going to seem less than. I do not agree with ever doing it. And plus, you would have to kind of, when it comes to these albums, fans forget that they are time, they are fixed in time and place. You can't recapture that spirit. The dude is not 20 something anymore. He's not getting over breakup with Chili anymore. He doesn't have peak era Neptunes and those guys to work with. Like everything has changed. So to put that mindset back then with those ingredients, it's just not going to work. I just think that you're setting yourself up for failure. Kyle, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost feel like the, the hype has died down from the whole Confessions 2 thing because when he teased it, that was going on, I think, about a year ago. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, even, it, it's like the momentum has slowed down. People were so excited at that time. He could have done a quick rollout at that time. I guess he had nothing prepared to go with. It's just dragging on. Like, uh, what is going on? I hope your interview provides some answers. But, man, it's just it's just hard to be excited about what's coming out. It just doesn't seem like it's inspired. Well, he's still working on the project. So there, there's that. So hopefully we'll get it by the end of the year, top of next year maybe. <laughs> but he's still hmm. working on it. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's the biggest thing. I think the announcement was a little bit premature, especially if he's having second thoughts about the title. But... I'm sure we'll get something sooner than later. Uh, B. Cox is really excited about what they've created, so you just got to trust him on that. B. Cox has never led us astray, so we just got to go with that, guys. <laughs> uh, All right, fair enough. I've got and, one and more uh, hard quick, I, I got to correct. I just got to correct one thing from earlier. The third Drew Hill album actually had five members. It had all four original members plus Scola. I didn't realize that Woody was still with the group at the time. Yep. I just looked it up real yeah. quick. Yeah. Yep, I, and the only reason I remember that is from the album cover, because like yes, all of exactly. them up there looking like a Mortal Kombat character selection. <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, the last hard-hitting question for you guys here. Uh, have you guys heard about that Lovers and Friends festival that's going on in L.A.? Oh, yes. That thing was yep. quite the hot topic over on the Soul and Stereo Cypher on Facebook. So pretty much every single one of your favorite R&B slash hip-hop acts from the 90s and the 2000s will be there, except, crazy enough, Music Soul Child and Keith Sweat. I'm not sure how you guys didn't make the cut. 
But but Keith Sweat uh, is the '80s, first of all. So moving that's on. That's true. No, okay. First You're of right. all, get your facts right. It was late '80s, and he dominated the '90s. So stay over there. <laughs> all right. Well, a lot of stuff that happened with this. Uh, first and foremost, a lot of people were comparing this to the Fire Festival. We need to leave Jaw alone. He's actually oh. on the on this festival. Wow. Let's let's just let bygones be bygones. But um, there was a lot of confusion <laughs> about this festival. It was organized by the people at Coachella, the people that do the Coachella uh, Festival. Snoop Dogg's actually uh, an organizer of this as well. He's promoting the event. And as this was all going down, you know, a lot of people were tweeting about the event. But two of the acts, Lil' Kim and Mace, both tweeted out, I have nothing to do with this. Please remove me off this uh, banner. And then about 24 hours later, they both replied with, the check has cleared, we're ready to go. So the question for you guys is, is this the promoter's fault or is this the artist's and their team's fault? Well, I mean, it's really no telling who dropped the bag on this one. A lot of times I I would assume it's the promoters just from my experience. I'm sure Tom can kind of weigh in on that one. But the weird thing with this was that I was surprised, and not that I'm being critical, but... The internet was so immediately skeptical of this. Like, immediately. They were like, oh, this can't be true. And usually whenever any little tidbit of anything drops, we run and act like it's the gospel truth and it's definitely going to happen because my cousin's friend brother tweeted it. So when this happened and everybody was like, oh, this can't be true, and this is one of the times I didn't question it at all, I was like, really? Y'all think this is fake? And it ended up not being fake at all. So... Anything that fell through feels like maybe an issue with the promoter, maybe not necessarily the team, maybe some back and forth negotiations that weren't quite worked out. But I guess it's going to happen. Ed, I mean, when I saw the. Oh, go ahead. Well, Ed, I was going to say the reason why everyone was skeptical was probably because of what happened with the Fire Festival. But, uh, Tom, let me ask you um, because we've been on both sides booking the event as well as working with the artist's management. Some of those managers, Tom, they're not that good. <laughs> I don't know where they find these people. It's almost like when you hear those articles down the road when these artists are claiming they're broke and their manager stole all their money. Well, I mean, this could be a situation like that. The Mace's manager, hypothetically, I have no idea, but took all you know, took half the money and didn't even tell Mace that the event was going on. I mean, that's, how can you not know a show is going on and you're on the flyer, but... Of something this scale and with such legitimate people running it, I don't know why people were skeptical. If it was the producers of Coachella and Snoop was involved, how is this even equivalent to the Fire Festival, though? That was like Ja Rule headlining, and who would be flying to wherever that was to see Ja Rule headlining in a, and you get to sit in a tent? I, I don't. It, that one seems shady. This doesn't seem shady at all, guys. The only thing shady about yeah. the show is that there's 100 artists on the, on the lineup for a one-day <laughs> festival. How the heck are you going to be able to put... Is everyone get half a song? Like, how are you going to be able to pull Basically, they've got to <laughs> have, like, four or five stages and everybody gets up there and sings two songs at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's the only way this will work. But, yeah, no, I'm no. with you. I, don't, I didn't get the Fire Festival comparisons either, other than no. Ja Rule being on it. Guys, you guys are so wrong about this festival. It is only going to be one stage. Actually, I don't know if it is, but can you imagine if it was just one stage and John B. had to go on at, like, 7.45 a.m.? While the people were like eating their <laughs> sausage McMuffins. Oh. 
Well, I had speculated that they would set up a stage in the parking lot near the porta potties, and some people would have to go in at like 11 a.m. and while people are walking in or going to the bathroom, they would get to see an artist perform. I mean, that's that's what it looks oh like. Oh my god! <laughs> Y'all would have Nina Sky over by the bathroom porta potties. That is a terrible look. Wow, Montel oh, Jordan's going to be like, "This is how we do it." While you're ready to take a dump, I like it. Oh god! God! Wow! Oh jeez. Oh, why do I walk into these things? All right, guys. Can we get into the soul backtrack of the day? What you got this week? Yep. Let's go with the record Flow a Tree Say Yes. Don't you guys love that song? Oh, yes. Now, let me tell you a little bit of backstory here in, over in Soul and Stereo Studios. My, when it comes to music, I know music means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But to me, and my wife gets mad at me about this, every time I listen to a song, it's like I'm mentally reviewing it. I'm breaking it down. I am deconstructing it. I am looking for like the pluses and the minuses. A lot of people listen to songs because it gets them in the mood or romance, and that's rarely the case for me. Except for this song. This song does it for me. Tom? This song actually is one of the most covered songs I've seen. Because I used to, you know, help produce the live uh, show Soul Village here in New York, and uh, a lot of artists did covers. It was emerging artists, and actually, this was this song I used to see get covered a lot. Not an easy song to pull off vocally, but no, it I've not. seen some good covers of the song, and you know, definitely a classic. But I know why you picked it, Kyle. <laughs> so this is a perfect segue into this um so the other day i got an email from a tour organizer i always get these alerts and uh they announced that marcia and the floasis is that how you pronounce her name yep <laughs> yes <laughs> uh they're uh they're coming back together to reunite for the 20th anniversary 20th year anniversary of their debut now, it's well documented that they don't really get along, and Marsha has gone on record to say that a reunion will never happen, but apparently it will, so we posted it on our site, and immediately, Marsha's manager hit us up and said, take that down, and we were like, why? We got this news from the organizer, so I think it's legit. They didn't really say whether it was real or not. They just said take it down out of respect for Marsha. So, of course, we love Marsha. We took it down. But I think this tour is actually happening, guys. And I think the bag is too much for them to give up. It's hmm. interesting. That whole thing, again, it's not like y'all made it up. You wouldn't have posted it if you didn't get direct information. And I trust you guys to know what you're doing. So, it's odd that... I don't know if it's the promoter that kind of messed up or like we speculated, maybe Marsha wants to break it herself and they want to have some big fancy reunion on social media and make a thing out of it. And we kind of jumped a gun. I don't know, but this definitely something to keep your eye on. And the interesting thing is when you posted that flyer before you took it down, some people were saying, don't they hate each other? You know, they did a reunion tour together a while back. I don't remember how five years or so ago. And uh, then just split, didn't, didn't even put on any new music or anything. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what their current situation is, but guys, sometimes you just have to put feelings aside and get together because that's what the fans want to hear. You don't have to love each other to perform with each other. I mean, it certainly helps, but if that's what people want to see and hear, 
and you can make it work. I mean, how many groups have we seen? I don't want to mention names, or I really don't, 112. I really don't want to mention any more names, guys, but <laughs> <laughs> they just don't dis- seem to dislike each other and can't make it work. I mean, at least they're, at least Flowtree is trying, if that's the case. Mm. Yeah, if it's the case. Tom, do you want another Flowtree album? Whew. How long has it been since the last one? I was never... Uh-huh. You know, let down by any flowetry albums. So, to me, I don't see why not. I mean, that would be a welcome project, right? I mean, Ed, I think you might agree. Yeah, I thought their first album was incredible. Like, I'm talking close to five-star territory. And the second one wasn't as good, but it was still good. So, I wouldn't mind it at all. We know Marsha still got chops. Um, The florist, she's still around doing her thing. So, it's not like they're got any ring rust on they could definitely make it work so it'd be a cool thing to see i'm for it i again that their animosity is well documented so hopefully they can move past that because there are bags to be gotten out here <laughs> yeah this is true so are you guys ready for the play a please award yep yep tom did you know there's a website out here called ftpain.com no, that's not Yes, real. there is. Um, oh, Ed. So this website, if you go onto it, it's just like a million tweets, negative tweets about T-Pain from random people just to uh, express how much they hate T-Pain. And what T-Pain did recently was instead of trying to shut down the site, he bought the site from the owner. So now if you visit ftpain.com, T-Pain gets the bag. That's genius. It's genius. It's genius. I wonder how many tweets of mine. Probably 30% of those tweets belong to me. <laughs> Jeez. So, I thought that was rather interesting. And uh, we forgot to mention T-Pain is on that Omarion song that we talked about earlier. Didn't really add much to the song, but T-Pain will T-Pain. Oh, I mentioned it. And it's terrible. Same old T-Pain. <laughs> so, guys, that's it for this week's podcast. Ed, what's going on with com? Soulandstereo.com. Like, we've got, check out um, the most recent review we've got up of Royster Five Nine's new album, The Allegory for My Hip Hop Fans. To me, it's one of the kind of first standout rap releases of the year so far. And in the coming weeks, we got some new stuff coming. I think there's a new Jada Kiss project. And while I've been kind of in on him lately, apparently this one has been dedicated to his former friend who passed away. So he is going old school with it. He wants to make the music. That his friend liked. And man, every single that I've heard is incredible. So that could be something promising in the future. And we got a new edition of Head to Head with Ed coming up. I got to get you on that soon, Tom. All right. I look forward to it. I think it's a cool feature you guys do on there. Yep. So, Tom, what's going on with You Know I Got Soul? Actually, let me start off first. I interviewed B. Cox recently. And I'm, I'm about to interview Rich Harrison. So... Just trying to get as many interviews done as possible. And, uh, yeah, that's what it's about on my end. And, Tom, I know you've been really doing some stuff behind the scenes on social media, really getting everyone fired up and talking about the genre. Yeah, it's cool to see. I mean, I love our community on social media. People, some real R&B lovers, really educated. Just getting people to, you know, recognize some of the greats of the past and, and celebrate them in different ways and just keep them, you know, keep people talking about them, celebrate some of their, 
you know, they're, they're albums that, you know, people may have not talked about or listened to in a while and the anniversaries those albums celebrate and even just some, some interesting topics. So, you know, definitely follow us on our social media channels, get involved in the discussion. Um, you know, we'll just keep moving right along with this thing. Nice. Yeah, so one guys, of the coolest things I have kind of seen in recent kind of, I guess it was a month or so ago. I was talking to a person who I didn't know was a fan of, you know, I got soul. It was just this person that I talked through, like through my work connections. And they said that, like, I think they saw us kind of going back and forth. And then this person that I know through work hopped in and was like, I didn't even know that you were connected to these guys and I didn't know that it was like this big R&B community out here and she was very thankful for the work that both Soul and Stereo and You Know I Got Soul does because unfortunately there's not a lot of places there where R&B is celebrated like it should be especially if you're living in a place where you don't have a lot of friends who like it you don't see a lot of it celebrated in media anymore like in the 90s and early 2000s so I know we take it for granted, but there are lots of fans out here that are very appreciative of having a platform to just talk about the music they love. So shout out to my boys for doing what they do. That's dope. But we got to be careful on these internet streets because you might end up in the wrong community and think that Yummy by Bieber is an R&B song. So we just got to watch out. Oh. <laughs> well, we're here to set you straight. That's all. But- <laughs> all right, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week to talk more good R&B. Peace.